Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com/acast code acast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Please be advised that Gen X this is why contains adult language. So guys, Blockbuster, you heard it here first. Never make it a comeback. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Gen X This Is Why, the podcast where we re-examine the sometimes bizarre and often scarring media of our shared childhood. My name is Amy, and I'm a proud Gen Xer born in 1977. And I'm her sister Jenny, born in 1974. Today we're looking at the 2020 Netflix documentary, The Last Blockbuster. Jen? The description reads, this nostalgic documentary reveals the real story of Blockbuster's demise and how one last location in Oregon keeps the spirit of a bygone era alive. Watch all you want. Kevin Smith, Jamie Kennedy, Doug Benson, and more pay tribute to this once dominant popcorn-scented video rental chain. Oh, Jamie Kennedy. I couldn't place him. I was like, I know that dude, but I don't know. Oh, Jamie Kennedy. Is he still a thing? I have all the information on everybody in here. Of course you Most do. of them are not still a thing. Okay. <laughs> so guys, the way we do our time capsule episodes is Jenny kind of takes the lead on these, which is really nice for me because I get to just sit back and inject comedy and wit. Would you say I inject wit, Jenny, into things? No. So we're, again, <laughs> both out of our wheelhouse. <laughs> yes, we're both out of our wheelhouse. All right, Jenny. So let me just say something right off, right up front. This should have been, it's an hour and 26 minutes. It should have been 26 minutes shorter. Okay. Do you agree with me? Yeah, but like, do we need to address the end of it now? No, I'm just saying it was too long. Yeah, it was. It was I agree. Long. Okay. Like there's only so much you could talk about with yes. the Blockbuster. Yes. Yes. And can I say that although Blockbuster was a thing, Mm-hmm. I feel like it was more skewed millennial because like blockbusters weren't around when we were young. Blockbusters were not around when we were young. I we mean, were like teenagers when they, when that started. The mom and pop stores were. Yes. Which we will yep. talk about. Yes. So this is directed by Taylor Morden and the writer is Zeke Com. Yeah. And we think Kevin Smith has something to do with it. He's in it, but we also think he either produced it or has something to do with it. He's in it a lot. I think. Yeah. Yep. All right, Jenny, go ahead. You want to start? So this is the story of the last blockbuster, which is in Bend, Oregon. But we open when we open, there's four blockbusters. 
at that time. There's three still in Alaska and there's one in Bend, Oregon. So for those of you who don't know, Bend, Oregon is about three hours east-ish of, of Portland. It's about five hours from Seattle and it's about eight hours from San Francisco. So that's that's where we're at. And they kind of talk about it later. Like it's a little rural, a little sleepy, a little like it is not Portland. So I talk about this later. I think that it is actually like the real Portland. Like it's legit weird. Yes. It's not trying. Yes. I agree <laughs> with you. It's legit. Like it reminds me of when Stephen King does his stuff that's set in these sleepy towns in Maine that are like super weird and quirky. Like that's yeah. what this reminded me of. Yeah. Like this is legitimate. There's nothing fabricated about this weirdness. Yes. So we meet Sandy Harding. Love her. Sandy with an eye. With an mm-hmm. eye. Mm-hmm. She is the quote unquote blockbuster mom. And I think everyone, anyone who worked as a teenager in any of these places knows Sandy. Ours was called Lonnie. <laughs> I worked at McDonald's. Ours was Lonnie and I loved Lonnie. So I was especially traumatized when her teenage son pulled up and beat the shit out of her in the parking lot one day. Oh my God. I was not there. I don't think I was still working. That was then. pretty tra- traumatic. Oh my God. Yes. She had a traumatic life, yep. man. Yep. But she was a sweetheart. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was awesome. But like everyone, th- this person exists in mm-hmm. most of these places where They've just been there a long time. They're kind of like a, a mother figure to a lot of people who didn't have good mother figures. Yep. Um, and they just kind of take care of everyone. And that that is Sandy. They're so, they're underpaid and overworked. Yep. But they absolutely. have a smile on their face. So Sandy talks about when she started at Blockbuster, which was in 2004. There was 9,000 stores and 16,000 employees. I feel like that's not enough employees for 9,000 stores. I feel like when they right? talk, yeah, like- yeah, I feel like when they talk about the growth of Blockbuster, it happened too quickly. Yeah, yeah. Well, we get into why that happened yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. But um, but 9,000 yeah, so- stores—that's a lot. And like 16,000 employees, not enough to <laughs> yeah. have 9,000 stores. No. In 2017, when they're when they're talking to her about this, there's 12 store. There was 12 stores and hundreds of employees. Now we're down to four stores mm-hmm. in in 2019, mm-hmm. and I don't know a handful of employees. I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. So they start on the history of why movie rentals. Like, what? How did this happen? You don't see place. You don't see stores that have music rentals. You don't see stores that have book rentals. We're not talking about libraries because that's not a profit model. That's a free model. Right. That's a that's a uh, community service. So why did this happen? So studios decided to start to sell to consumers to sell. They just saw it as another stream of revenue. Well, and it only happened once the VCRs became I'll get to that but Sony invents the the VCR the Betamax Mm -hmm. (laughs) and studios decide we'll sell videos to consumers like after they're out of the theaters for a hundred dollars a hundred that's what they thought it was worth but if you think about their logic and how they figured out what it was worth it made sense they're like eight people watch this you would pay eight dollars each well that's still only 64 dollars. but they were like assuming like 10 people would see it and that you could watch it whenever you wanted so they they thought they thought that was the value of it we'll later learn it and you would pass it around yes and then so immediately because this is america and you know we're entrepreneurs and capitalists immediately someone says let's buy those let's rent them to people Mm -hmm. (laughs) which they start doing this 
Great idea. Great mm-hmm. idea. So they buy the, a couple copies, like usually two or three copies of a new release, and they rent it out to people. And they just continuously make money, you know, pays for itself pretty quickly, probably. Mm-hmm. So this, the movie studio sued them almost instantly. <laughs> Yeah, because they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's not okay. So I don't know exactly what Supreme Court case they were talking about because the Supreme Court, when I looked it up, the Supreme Court case of note that seems to matter with this whole thing was when the movie studio sued Sony for inventing the VCR. Wait a minute. They were sued for inventing the VCR. Yes, because they thought it was a machine that allowed copyright infringement. Okay. Because people could tape TV shows and stuff off of TV. That's true. So this, and I think they decided to sell the movies after this happened. But yeah. we'll see. Because it would have, yeah, it would have been after this date. So Sony Corp of America versus Universal Studios in the Betamax case. So the studios were trying to sue Sony for inventing the Betamax. Sony had lost at the lower courts, but appealed and originally went to the Supreme Court. There were five votes affirming the lower court decision to outlaw VCRs. <laughs> but something unusual happened. The Supreme Court decided that both sides should re-argue parts of the case. This only happens in 2.6% of cases wow. in the Supreme Court. Wow. The re-argument shifted one critical vote, resulting in a 5-4 in favor of Sony, and the VCR was legal. That's crazy. Could you met Jen, who was the swing vote? Do we know? I don't know. I mean, this was the Supreme Court in 1984. Like, I'm interested to know who we have to thank for the VCR. <laughs> Yeah, right. I mean, that's crazy. Could you imagine what was outlawed? When you think about it, the same argument could be made about cassette tapes. So, like, were they out already? Yeah, they would have been out already. Okay, they would have been. They would have. They were. They They were in the seventies. Well, and remember when they came out with a dual cassette recorder where you put it one? Yeah. I mean that. I'm. I I haven't looked that up. I'm sure there were lawsuits. That's like a money printing machine. Yeah, I'm sure there were. (laughs) I'm sure there were lawsuits around that. Uh, but I, I can't imagine that it wouldn't eventually have won out somehow. Like, you're not going to stop that train. Uh, like, look at Napster and all that shit. Everyone's trying to stop this stuff. Yeah. All right. So we got the, we, so now it's legal. So then what happens? Yeah. So the store, so then that's when, that's when the mom and pops, all the video stores started up and the model there was, and this was, um, they, they cut to Ken and Debbie Tisher, who are the ones that own the Blockbuster and Bend. Pacific they, Video. They started as Pacific Video. It cost them $400,000 to initially start the store. I mean. And that's in the 80s. That's in the 80s. It's but like, you know, it's a business venture. Yeah. So they opened Pacific Video. And like, you remember these. Ours was Montage Video. Ours was Montage Video. And yes, I remember it well. And they had like two or three copies of everything. Mm-hmm. They had the empty cases out on the thing. You used mm-hmm. to bring it up to the thing, and you wouldn't even know if it was there or not. They had the up. back room. Montage Video had the back they room. They had the back room. They had the back <laughs> so room. So they, they talk about how a lot of these earlier models of video rental stores had the saloon doors or the beaded <laughs> curtain. Totally remember this. Yep. I think it was a beaded curtain at Montage. Yep. yep. And like the and room you, was a little dark. And you were always trying to see what was in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was like where they rented porn. Like yeah. They were rent- yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine having to go in and rent porn? Oh, God. Yeah. That had to be bad. Like, how do you take those tapes back? I'd be like, mm. 
I don't know. That's, that had to be gross. And now, so then guys, they, I'm not saying porn is gross. I'm saying the idea of touching someone else's porn is weird to me. Yes, okay. that's gross. So then they go through a bunch of videos uh, or a bunch of interviews about people's experiences with Blockbuster. So we see James Arnold Taylor, who I can't stand. I've decided. I don't know who he is. I didn't know who he was till this, but I'm like, he's. Which, super annoying. But which one was he? Let me pull this up. So he was, so James Arnold Taylor, he's born in 1969, so legit Gen Xer. Mm-hmm. He was the dude that does the, he does a lot of voiceover work. Oh, he was yes. the one sitting there with, yep. he's, he's, if you didn't know, he's Obi-Wan Kenobi in Clone Wars because there's a giant cutout stand-up of okay. Obi-Wan Kenobi next yeah. to him. Because he does all this voiceover work. These guys are such D-listers that you need visual cues. That's yeah, they are. visual cues. So he did Obi-Wan Kenobi in Clone Wars. He's Lego DC comic superhero, The Flash, Lego Scooby-Doo. These are all voice. Mm-hmm. He's done voiceovers for Fairly Odd Parents, The Boondocks, Ben 10, Captain Underpants, Gardens, Guardians of the Galaxy. So like he's a pretty well-known yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. voiceover actor. Um, then we ta- then we see Ron F- Funk, Funks, Funks, Fuchs. I don't know his name. He is a millennial. And okay. I picked that up right immediately. Okay. You could just tell. He's he, more upbeat and happy. He's pretty funny. He's funny. He's really funny. So what he's working, he's a comedian. He's known for um, the match game hoops, crank yankers, Harlequin. He was on Transparent. He was in Drunk History a couple episodes. Okay. Bojack Horseman, Undateable. Right now, he's a judge on Nailed It. Oh, I love Nailed It. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he has a comedy special called Giggle Fit. So he's okay. he's pretty funny. Um, we see him. He he talks a little bit about his experience. And again, the millennials were talking about like this is what they ex- they experienced blockbusters. Children, yes, like, yeah, that makes I, sense. I did not. I was definitely. And again, like it depends on when it rolled out in Scranton, right? Like I, I remember the one at, in Dunmore. That was the first. That was one I the know first of. one, and the yeah. longest one. Where there was another one in Dixon City, probably right somewhere. No, there was one in West Side on Meridian Ave. Okay, that's the one I always went to. Across was there one in South Side? Was there one South Side? No. Oh yeah, I remember it. I remember it. Yeah. So my last experience when Timmy and I were watching last this last night, I said to him, "Do you remember when we started binging Breaking Bad? We had to, or was it Mad Men? No, I think it was Breaking Bad. No." Battlestar Galactica. When we started watching Battlestar Galactica, I used to go to Blockbuster and get the DVDs. And he was like, really? They were still around? I said, yes. We lived in our first house. That was in the aughts, yeah. Yes, and they were still around. And then Blockbuster started doing the mail. We used to get them through the mail. And he's like, no, Amy, that wasn't. I swear to God. Then we saw this, and it was 2008. And he's like, oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, they were still around. So that was uh, the last Battlestar Galactica. Blockbuster. Oh, Battlestar. That had to be that had to be a war for those. No, not really. People were really because we that's were, when it was out. We were late to the game. Oh, okay. Because yeah. when was it out? Like 2004 or 2003? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were late to the game. Steve gave me. He had all four seasons. Of course he did. And he gave them to me, and he's like, "You have to watch this. I'm not going to talk to you again until you watch this." Basically, mm-hmm. it's and so good. We became completely addicted to it. Yes. I almost lost my job. So, uh, where was I? So okay, so then Kevin Smith is talking about his first experience at Blockbusters. 
I have mixed feelings about Kevin Smith. I love clerks. I love mall rats. I love all that stuff. But like, he's kind of an ass and he always has been. Mm, You know what? I'm going to say something and this is going to shock our audience. I don't really have an opinion on this. Wow. (laughs) Guys, I have an opinion on everything. So if I don't care about you. mm, Wow. You really don't matter. I really don't. I mean, he's so, okay. Whatever. I like, I love his movies. I love Chris. He's yeah. just kind of an ass. Yeah. So he says, I walked into Blockbuster for the first time. Now, granted, Kevin Smith is older. He's an older Gen Xer. Yeah. So he would have been like an, almost an adult probably. Yeah. He was born. Let me see. I just happen to have him up here. He was born 1970. So he's four years yeah. older than you. So he probably would have been like an adult. Almost like an older teen, right? It's not like he's six walking in and saying, Sure, sure. So he says, I walked into the blockbuster and I'm like, Give me, give us your most disgusting horror movie that you have. This is the problem I have with him. He's just like, I know, I don't know. It's, it's a thing I can't explain. I think he's really talented, but I just fucking hate him. So he's like, Give us the most disgusting movie that you have, horror movie that you have. So they rent him blo- uh, Blood Sucking Freaks, which I've never seen, whatever, Mm-mm. whatever. Fine. And he says it's still one of the worst yeah. movies of all time. I believe I it, seen. just from the two-second clip they showed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then uh, we talk to Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> Jamie Kennedy. Hold on, sorry. Oh, do I not have him on here? Jenny has paper notes, guys. Oh, Jamie Kennedy. So I can't stand him either. It's something, it seems like something with the older Gen Xers. <laughs> I don't know. Are they, are they still a little boomery to me? No, no, no. It's he, something about... 1970. He's like a washed up actor. Do you know clearly. the first he's like, movie? He's bitter about it. Do you know the first movie he appeared in as an extra? Romeo and Julia? Dead Poet Society. Oh, really? That's what I'm reading. Oh, he was he was an extra in um, Romeo and Julia. He was that super annoying dude. And I know. I, like when they showed him, I, I was like, oh, I hate that guy. Yep. So, but he did talk about how. <laughs> He started renting Scarface all the time, and and, <laughs> and it really shaped him, which I thought was pretty. Funny. That was pretty funny. Well, and and, then we t- and they talk a lot of them talk about, and it's a common theme that you and I've been talking about: the idea that we were way too young to be watching yeah. a lot of the shit we were watching. Yeah, so like yeah. they would just walk in Blockbuster, and there was no like limit. There was no age thing; Mm-mm. just rent or whatever. Yep. But again, he was born nineteen seventy. He probably would have been like. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like a teen. Yeah. Because when did, I mean, Blockbuster, I guess it depends on where you were, but the height of it was like the late nineties, early off. Yes. Yep. So that was much later. Like we, I mean, I was out of, I was out of college by then. Yeah. And I was born 74. So that was much later. And then Sam Levine, who is another millennial, talked about how he wanted to run. See, he was a kid. He's talking about it. He was a kid. Mm-hmm. He, oh, this the Pink was, Panther. Born in 82. Yeah, he wanted to rent the Pink Panther because the Pink Panther cartoon character was on the front of it. His father's like, it's not the same thing. And he like insisted that he wanted it. He's like, then you have to watch it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Watch like the Pink Panther movies <laughs> when he was six. Jenny, can you guess what blockbuster tape I had the most in my house? The most. Like most often? Like the one, yes. The one I rented all the time. Titanic. No. No. Why is that an unbelievable guess? Because was Blockbuster oh, even around when Titanic was? Yes, it was a double. Yeah, okay. they were in the 90s. That was in the 90s. Young movie. Guns, too. 
Oh God, you are so lame. <laughs> Why didn't you just buy Guys, it? Guys, okay, I've just made a decision. I'm putting Young Guns 2 in the poll for the main movies. Oh Lord. Mm. Okay. Mimi's if you love me, you'll vote for Young Guns 2. So then Brian Poston, they interview him. I love him. Do you know who he is? I know who he is. Yes. So uh, he was born 1966, and I don't feel bad because he's an older Gen Xer, and I love him. Okay. All he right. was in Sarah Silverman. Sarah Silverman. Yep. He was Brian, who was always wearing heavy metal T-shirts <laughs> and shit, and he was always listening to something. Doesn't he still have a heavy metal T-shirt on? Isn't he, he wearing he a Metallica a, shirt? He had a Metallica shirt on, yeah. yeah. Yep. And um, <laughs> he's always listening to music. He always has, like, Halloween shirts on mm-hmm, and stuff mm-hmm, and, like, mm-hmm. Megadeth. And they finally get his cassette tape, and they see that it's the two princes, like, on repeat. <laughs> <laughs> that, was the, that was the best show I love I love show. Sarah Silverman Timmy always says you remind him of Sarah Silverman <laughs> like mm, I don't so, see it but okay so this the, he's the, the scraggly guy in a lot of shows mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. what he's described as he was in he was already in Seinfeld mm-hmm. he was only in like one or two episodes yep. he was in the man show do you remember that I remember that, that. was revolting yeah he is in the Big Bang Theory, Bert. And he is also on an episode of Nailed It called I've Failed and I Can't Get Up. I have to watch this. I've not watched it. Nailed It is so great. <laughs> so we he talks about his experience a little bit. And then we go to Eric Close, who is 1967, another older Gen Xer. Mm-hmm. He was a, he actually did some acting. He was an American sniper, Nashville law and order suits without a trace. Yes, so I loved him in like Nashville. a real actor. I'm going to take a second here and just shout out Nashville. I loved it. It was a great show. I don't know what happened to it. It like fell apart at the end. Like NBC canceled it or whatever. And then they tried to find another home and it couldn't. And then it did. And it had a bad season. But Nashville in its prime, amazing. Was this the show you said I would hate? It's no. the show that Steve loved too. You said I would hate. It's not this show. No, you would it's hate some- Yellowstone. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Which I love. Okay. Jenny would hate it. I don't know what that means, but okay. So he's a real actor and he talks about the disappointment when, when the new, like when you would go to like a mom and pop, cause he talks about mom and pops cause that was his kid's experience. Yes. And you would go in and there was like three copies of every new release and they were always gone. Like, yep. Cause someone was like, someone was stalking the store waiting for it to get returned. Yep. <laughs> Do you so remember like- that? Like stalking the return counter? Yeah, 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 totally. Yep. Yeah. And then Blockbuster came along and was like, "Here's a hundred copies of the new release." Yeah, but there and were it blew everyone's. There were still times you had to do that. Though. It still ran out. Mm-hmm. It still ran out. Mm-hmm. Yep. So then we talk about um, the history of Blockbuster. So Blockbuster started in 1985. David Cook, which I thought I knew, recognized that name, but it's like a combination of of like a bunch of Silicon Tim Valley Cook names. And he have, yeah. <laughs> From the oil in and Dallas. gas company. Uh, yeah, so, but he was a software engineer. Mm-hmm. So this it was in Dallas, and he decided he wanted to do, like, a bigger, more tapes on shelves. You can keep things longer. A family-friendly version of the video store. Yeah. So that meant, that meant the porn section was gone. No back room, man. No back room. No back room. Um, he because he was a software engineer, he created this whole system for checking stuff in and out. Like he he relied on databases instead of a sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. And because of that, 
it was easy to repeat the model. So yeah. that's why Blockbuster initially started to expand a lot faster than say Pacific Video, right? Because they were able like, here's the software, here's how you start it up. Like they were just able to handle it and move everything a lot faster. Yes. So he had about 20 Blockbuster stores when the CEO of Waste Management, because I'm sure he's a nice guy, mm-hmm. Wayne Zagana. Yeah. I think that's how you say it. Um, came in and said, I want to buy Blockbuster. So he bought Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. I don't know when that was. I think it was a few years later. And he started buying up local places and converting them to Blockbuster. So this is when the assimilation, like the Borg assimilation started. Right. And they bought Pacific Video. Yes. And so so the Blockbuster there is in that original location. So that's still, and the people, like somebody makes the point later on that, you know, if you franchise, like it's still your business. Yeah. So like a lot of people, the people who own Pacific Video still owned that franchise yep well and at this time i mean the thing that's tough is that they didn't really have a choice like basically they were just opening blockbusters all around them so i think that's where the criticism comes in is there's no choice no so at that because at that time every 17 hours a new blockbuster opened. okay that's what i want to talk about that's too fast too big that's insane that's insane too big that's insane yep that's insane. So Jared Rusick, Rasick, who I, he's just a local. I don't, he was like in a couple small shows, but I think he's just a local and that's why he's in. Okay. In it. Um, he walks us through in a drunk history style fashion. Did you see that? That was yes, so great where they're like, they're doing the voiceover, but the people are talking and it was yep. so funny. Yep. And he just kind of like walks you through like what the experience was. And then he goes up and they're like, you have a fee from Deuce Bigelow. And he's like, I didn't read Deuce Bigelow. <laughs> he's so like, true. you're looking around and you just want to pay the fee so that no one brings up Deuce Bigelow ever again. Because <laughs> it's so funny because like now with Netflix or whatever streaming service, you could just be in your house watching mm-hmm, your guilty mm-hmm, pleasures and mm-hmm. no one's judging you. Like at Blockbuster, you had to walk up, you had to pick up that tape. <laughs> Imagine being the people who had to rent the porn. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was a different type of person. I didn't care. At least if you go to a sex shop, the people at the counter have seen it all. Right? They're like, whatever. But, like, what if you go to Montage Video, you go in that back room, you get, like, dads and stepdaughters gone wild. And you bring (laughs) it out, and, like, there's somebody who's friends with your kid ringing you out. Right. Or, like, you know, like a mom and pop and mom's there ringing up the thing. So. Next day, or or later that day. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> we don't care about the timeline here. So Tuesday mornings were new release day. And it's funny because they show Sandy, and I had no idea this happened, but it makes to your point. But to your point, this is, it's not a corporate. So there were corporate blockbusters, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? There were stores that the corporate headquarters opened yes. up. They, w- they would have staffed it. They would have supplied it. They would have, you know what I mean? It would have been like a true corporate thing. Yeah, the franchises were still like standalone, yeah, businesses essentially. So Sandy goes to like Target and buys new releases if she can't get enough from the movie company, mm-hmm. and she buys the candy and shit there too. And she buys the candy and everything, yeah. like so she'll buy a box of snow caps for ninety nine cents, take it to Blockbuster, and slap a three dollar sticker on it. Well, what she should have done though is like buy it wholesale. Why are you buying it retail? <laughs> right. Anyway. 
Okay. We're not here so, to judge Sandy. We like We're her. not here to judge Sandy. But like someone should have been like, go, go buy that Let wholesale. me help you out. <laughs> so then they cut to this dude, random scene, Lloyd Kaufman. Who I love. Who, why do you love him? Because he's just so miserable. He's like, an asshole. He's, he's a an boomer. Asshole. 1945, he's a boomer. But he's funny, asshole. He's a fucking asshole, man. <laughs> I don't even understand his appearance. I don't either. I don't random. either. Like, did they just bring him in to I, call, what's guys, his name, an know. asshole? I don't know. Because he, he talks about the, the head of Icom. What's his name? I don't know. <sighs> you know, Sumner Redstone. Yeah, oh, he's yeah, an yeah, asshole. Yeah, yeah. That guy's a fucking asshole. I mean, I we're talking about a lot of white boomer men we're, here. We're talking about one white boomer. Yeah. Angle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's just like slinging profanity, which everyone knows I'm a huge fan of. I'm all about it. But but I'm like, who is he? And he's like, this is the true American monopoly blockbuster. Like he just goes crazy. <laughs> I loved it. And I'm like, what? why? And the guy's who like, introduce yourself. And he's like, I'm not introducing myself. Don't you know who I am? Because he's afraid you don't know who he is. Because he didn't really do anything that like he did a ton of shit. But it's all this weird like it's, cult following it's like stuff. Like the bee horror. Yes. Yeah, it's all the top Avenger. Avenger. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I looked at a list. His, his company, Troma, which I didn't know. I had to look that up. Mm-mm. It's been around since 1974. I looked at everything they released. I don't recognize any of it. Well, I to kind be, of fair, to be fair, a lot of the stuff that was birthed in 1974 is shitty and sucks. <laughs> True. Good point. <laughs> but they, but they're, I mean, they've been making stuff since 1974, and I don't know any of it. So it's not mainstream. No, because and he has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because of that, I think. And you were like, you were married to somebody who was like kind of adjacent to this world. I know. Like, you would have like, I must know. Because so, he was yeah. like, like, you've gone like, to Comic Con. Yeah. Right. I didn't know any of it. Mm-mm. I was surprised. I've heard of the Toxic Avenger. I've heard of it too. Never saw That's it. That's it. Mm-mm. Yep. But his so appearance guy- is pretty goddamn funny. But his whole like insecurity about oh you don't know who I am you don't know like dude shut the fuck up man I, You're I an thought asshole. it was much needed comic relief <laughs> I was just like this is random and stupid whatever all right so then we're back we're talking we're back in Bend Oregon talking about Blockbuster and I forget who it was to be completely honest it was the dude that owned Pacific Video I think yeah yes who they talked so he, to quite a bit yes let me see I have his name Alan Payne no I have his name. Is that his name? Is it no. Alan Payne? Nope. Okay. Oh, was Alan Payne the dude that owned the Alaska ones? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. Yeah, they talked to him quite a bit. No, it doesn't matter. Him. We'll just call him Pacific Video, dude. No, I have him here somewhere. Ken Tisher. Okay. But I think it was Alex Payne they were actually talking to okay. about this. So what started to, what what the video company started what Blockbuster did was worked out a rev share model, mm-hmm. a revenue share model. Mm-hmm. So instead of paying $100 for um, a cassette, because if you want 60 of them or 50 of them, that's a lot of initial it's investment a lot of money. on a single movie, mm-hmm. right? So what they did is instead of buying them for, well, they said they could get them for $70, $75 a, a cassette, but that was a lot, is they negotiated revenue share deals. So what that meant was instead of they would get the, the cassette for a couple dollars and then they would share a percentage of the revenue on the rental of that movie with, with the movie studios. Yeah. And the movie, so the movie studio, studios, of course, were like, yeah, yeah. They're like, finally we found yeah. a way to make money on this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that, but that really killed mom and pop because mom and pop's going to do that. I want to say something about a mom and pop that was close to us. So do you remember where Island Chrysler was, where Fratelli's is now on Main Avenue, North Scranton? There used to be a video store there. Really? I don't remember Mm -hmm. it. It was when I was hanging out with the twins. So I was 13 or 14. So what year would that have been? 90? That's about right. Um, So we would walk down and rent movies. And we walked down the one day and it was closed. So it had the mail slot in the door. And there were new new releases returned there laying on the floor. So we got sticks and we propped open the mail slot and we stole a movie. And it was pump up the volume. Nice. That's nice. Isn't that lovely? That's quality. So add that like, in with my shoplifting. I like when they were talking about how you know, they had the bins and they were pretty big. <laughs> yes. They would hide in the bins. And when someone stuck a video and they would grab it with a hand, yep. could you imagine? Yep. That must have freaked people out. Must have freaked people out. So if that okay. was 1990 when I was stealing video, a video, let's not make it plural. Um, that means Blockbuster wasn't really huge then in our area. No, it wasn't. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, I, I think the heyday for Blockbuster across the country was like 2000. Like it was I, 99, 2000. That was later. Okay, so I started dating my first husband in 1994. And I remember shortly after that, a Blockbuster opened in Old Forge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it would have been almost late 90s. Like late 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's when I remember going. Like I was, mm-hmm. I was, I could drive to a Blockbuster. Yeah. 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 Like where, you know, the ones we went to were younger. Hopefully I wasn't driving too. <laughs> so then we get to meet Sandy's family. So I was very confused, but I think she has three sons. Yeah. And and like the she, one she says is adopted, I, I guess was a friend. Because she's like, well, I, they're practically adopted. Well, and then she said, and this is my adopted daughter, who is the son's girlfriend. girlfriend. Yeah. There was a lot of like, not real adoptions <laughs> there, I think. <laughs> Just, just tell us who your family is. Why do you have to make this complicated? I know. And then there's the, that younger son who is not okay. <laughs> he reminded me of a Carl's Jr. <laughs> he, he's like, I used to be four year old, four years old, and I was hanging out in the blockbuster, and everyone's like, "Oh, you're so cute!" Like everybody loves him. And then he's like, "And I would eat dog bones if someone asked me to." Yeah, I don't know what? what's happening there. What was that? You, it's not that far of a leap for him to go. And I would go into the barn and light off fireworks. Yeah, and then the, and then they showed the one eyed cat. I'm like, oh, I don't know what's happening here. Yeah, but she's like pretty famous. She's been interviewed like hundreds of times. Well, that was after they made it. That comes later, her fame. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I'm just saying. Okay. Jane, did you know anyone who worked at Blockbuster? Oh, I'm sure I did. I mean, I I, I was saying it, Timmy. I would have loved that job. I was, we were too old by then. We were though. too old. Like, yeah. I, like, I was, when I was 14, when I had like my 14 year old job, it was like 1989. Blockbuster wasn't a thing no. around us mm-hmm. then. Nope. Um, I worked at McDonald's. Yeah, McDonald's was the thing here. And Sears. We had a lot of people. And then Sears. Then he graduated to Sears. Yep. And Sears is out of business. Yep. Oh my God. So then they start talking about the staff picks. Yes. And they're going through the staff picks. And that crazy dude, the local, Jared, is like, 
I, I I judge people by their staff picks. I'm like, I want to be friends with you. Like we both like gremlins. And yep. then he's like, and then I see this pretentious thing. And I'm like, I don't want to see a French movie with someone holding a balloon. Red balloon. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get the part, Jenny? We may have missed it. Did you see the part where Sandy has to take apart old computers? No, I'm getting to that. Okay. So then they talk about, and I think it was Paul Schmier. Used to work at Blockbuster. Do you know who he is? Paul He's Shear. a solid Gen Xer. He was born in 1976. He is in the league. Yes. Have you I ever know seen him. that show? With the gap in his teeth. I know him. Have you ever seen the yes. league? It's hilarious. It's funny. Yep. It is a hilarious yep. show. He was in The Good Place, too, but I didn't watch it. I like The Good Place. place. He's he's really funny, but he was really good in the league. Mm-hmm. And um, he's he, in Veep, I guess, I guess he worked at Blockbuster. So they, he was talking about this plan with Jamie. He had this crush on this girl that used to come in. <laughs> <laughs> there was some actress named Jamie Gertz, who I don't really know who that is. Yeah, I know who she is. Can you look her up and tell me what you Pause. She was in... Um, Facts of Life. She was like uh, she had a recurring role, but the first thing she was really in was Less Than Zero. She was a friend okay. of Robert Downey Jr. She was also in The Lost Boys as star oh, okay. of a half vampire girlfriend. Oh, that, that might be where I know her from. Um, she was in Solar Babies, Crossroads. Those she was in This Can't Be Love. So like, I like how you say that with like it means something. She was okay. in Ally McBeal, which is a fantastic show. I probably know her from Lost Boys. That's probably where I know her from. So he thinks this girl looks like her. And they decide to have this fake, like, Mm -hmm. signing of Mm -hmm. a movie. Like, I don't know. Are they signing a box? I don't know what they're signing. A poster? I don't know. I don't know. And they have this girl play Jamie Gerd, (laughs) who is, like, 16. I guess at this time, Jamie Gerd would have been, like, 30. And it was spectacular failure, it sounded like. The pictures. He has pictures from it. It seems super dumb. And you can tell the girl's, like... What He's like happening? looking back on it. She was probably 15 years too young. <laughs> yeah, that's really stupid. But that was pretty funny. And he talked a lot about the khakis and the uniform, which mm-hmm. was really dorky, mm-hmm. if you think about it. Yeah, I remember that. Super dorky. I mean, it couldn't have been worse than McDonald's uniform. I don't know what True. those pants were made of. I tell- They repelled oil. I tell this story to to everyone who is starting a job. The first day of my very first job at McDonald's, I split my pants. <laughs> <laughs> I bent over to get something under the counter and my pants went right down the back. Oh my god. Oh so my god. I always tell my kids if you if I could survive that, you could get on a bus and go to a new school. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. So, um so then we, we see Sandy and she's doing some computer repair work. <laughs> and I felt seen. I felt she, seen. Yes. She busts open a Packer Bell Takes from like 1989. <laughs> we were there. We used to do this. Yep, yep. We used to do this. I remember Amy's <laughs> smacking a motherboard around, knocking the dust off of it. Amy's first husband was like a computer dude. Mm-hmm. And I was in Georgia and I had to upgrade my computer or something. And it mm-hmm. was... Packard Bell, probably. Mm-hmm. Or what was the other one? An HP Hewitt Packard? Yeah, it was one of those. Adele? It was the one. 
No, it wasn't that nice. Okay. It was, I think it was a Packard Bell because it had a piggy board mothered back, which Gateway was the other one. Gateway was the other one. It wasn't that nice. It definitely wasn't that nice. Um, And it had this model that was really hard to upgrade. So he's talking me through on the phone Mm -hmm. how to do this. Mm -hmm. He's like, and he like knew it to see it, even though he didn't have the computer. He was really really good at that shit. (laughs) He's like, you'll see a thing that's like, I'm like, I know what a, I know what a processor looks Mm -hmm. like. Like you can use the term processor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So she's dusting these things off. Have they not upgraded their infrastructure? That was my question. Since since the eighties. That was my question. I kept saying it to me, like, cause it was a POS system. They have to keep the POS system running. I said, why don't they just get a new POS system? And Timmy, who used to own pizza shops is like a new POS systems, like 20 grand. They're a fortune. Yeah. Yeah. But I would think. But isn't there an app for this at this point? But I would think, well, that, yeah, because that's now, right? Yes. So here's part of the downfall, I guess, of franchises, because it depends on how much control you have over them. Like, that's true. Some franchises, like, require you to remodel and, up, you know, and upgrade things. Like, true. But some don't. Like, they're, you're kind of on your own. You're just, it's more or less a licensing, licensing agreement. Yeah. So. She's just upgrading the thing so that wait, she knows. They bought a bunch of computers from what stores that went out of business? I don't know. She said a store that went out I of know. business and they bought all the computers from there. And that they I have them stored just in case they need to replace parts. These are computers from the eighties. Yeah. It's it's bad. Actually, no, 90s, I lie. They're, 90s. Not, they're from the late nineties. Yeah. yeah, they're from the it's late nineties. It's bad, guys. So they're they're trying to upgrade these things. People's credit cards are in these systems. <laughs> like if you, well, go hack is, the last blockbuster, it'll take you four minutes. The best is she's going. They have floppy disks, and the kids who work for me are like, "What the fuck are these things?" Well, if they have to reboot them with a three and a quarter floppy, those are old computers. Because yeah. yep. even the ones I was dealing with in the late nineties booted with compact disks. Yep. Okay, so in. 1994, Viacom, Sumner, Sumner, Sumner Redstone. Redstone, the dude that Doug was going crazy. Was it Doug? No. What was that guy's name? That Lloyd was going crazy I was, about. I almost said so, Lafayette. So the dude that Lloyd was going crazy about, by the head of Viacom in 1994, buys Blockbuster for $8.4 billion. Billion with a B, guys. Billion with in a B. What in what year, in 19, 1994. Uh, not a great, not a great investment. Well, it could have been. It, it could have been. been. You, you still, depending on what, if you had foresight, you would have transformed Blockbuster into Netflix. Which they almost did. We'll get Which to that they later. almost did. Mm-hmm. Um, so Blockbuster, so they make, they make a move, they make a, an awards thing, a Blockbuster movie award. Like it, it was a good investment. The problem was, is that they bought it to use as collateral against buying Paramount Pictures. So they they basically borrowed, leveraged a bunch of debt against Blockbuster. A ton of debt against it. A ton of debt against it. You know, and they were betting on future sales. This is done all the time. It's not like sure. this was something unusual. Sure. So it, they still have a ton of debt. In 1999, they go public. Their IPO starts at $465 billion. So still a worthy company. Still worth mm-hmm. a lot of money. Because mm-hmm. in 1999... We don't have great internet yet. Don't forget, it wasn't until broadband that right. streaming was even cable, like a, a yes. thing. Yes. So you know we're still we're still doing dial up at this time. Yeah. 
So they hire Joe Antico, Antico, Antico from Taco Bell. He was the CEO that turned Taco Bell around. Who put a taco inside of a soft shell and called it a gordito and saved the company. <laughs> saved the company, apparently. Okay. Bar's low, I guess, for CEOs. I love later they hired the dude away from 7-Eleven who decided to give away free slushies on 7-Eleven every year and saved the company. Yes. But the weirdest thing saved the company. Sometimes it just takes somebody looking at it differently, right? Yeah. So in, 20, in 2001, Blockbuster's starting to, to see, because don't forget, at this point, they have been the, the huge, there's not been competition. Mm-mm. There's been no, they've, I used to work for a company, not the company I work for now, that I used to say, like, they had no competition. And yeah. when they do, they're fucked. Yeah. Because it's like. And that's what starts to happen here. So they they just they dominated everything. There was no competition. Jenny worked now for they start hub everybody. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's money. <laughs> so the they end the awards in two thousand one. They start to see competition from Redbox, Netflix, DVRs, on demand, TiVo, all this stuff. I remember when happen. Redbox came out. That was a huge deal. Huge. Because yep. they wisely no they wisely put them in grocery stores. There's no store. There's no overhead. So you're going looking for your groceries and you just stop yep. and grab, grab a, a video. Yep. That was brilliant. That mm-hmm. was actually pretty brilliant. Mm-hmm. Netflix at that time was a mail order. Mm-hmm. That's what you mail. I remember getting those big time. I remember that was a big thing. Breaking Bad. We were like, when is the fucking mail coming? It better get here because we're <laughs> waiting on season four, DVD three. And then you start to see what later disrupts the advertising industry, which is all the on-demand stuff, right? Yes. And then the and the DVR. Yep. So um, cable starting to get into this now. Mm-hmm. Blockbuster had a chance to buy Netflix. <laughs> yes, you heard that right. Okay, you so, did not include when you were talking about the people in this, you didn't include Doug Benson, who they talked to about this. Okay, did I not talk about Doug Benson? Doug yet? Benson's the weird dude at the end. How, the, how I Met Your Mother. Mm-hmm. You're near the worst. But they, okay. it's funny because we actually see like they break the fourth wall and they're like telling him, okay, this meeting happened. So just talk <laughs> about that and say what you think would have happened in the meeting. I need some of this direction. Like I could use direction like this. I give you direction, bitch. Whatever. Mm -hmm. So Reed Hastings, who started Netflix, founder of Netflix, set up a meeting with Blockbuster and walked into this meeting, I guess. This is what we're told. I don't know where this information came from and I didn't research it any further. We don't know. So he walks in and he's basically like, I will sell you Netflix for this mail order. At that time, mail order. They had a small, small digital business. Mm -hmm. Total mail order. I will sell you my business for $50 million. And they laughed at him. Million with an M. Yeah, million with yeah. an M. Yeah. Imagine yeah. what that would be worth today. $194 billion as of today. Billion with a B. <laughs> billion with a B. <laughs> okay. wow. So they, he, yeah, he, they laughed him out of the room. Hmm. They're like, we're not giving you $50 million. Like, Didn't they crazy? do an like, animated version of this with Muppets in the movie? Yeah. It was great. Yeah, it was, it was great. Good. Um, so Netflix continues gaining ground and um, Blockbuster starts to offer DVD by mail and they decide no more late fees. No more late fees. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. This is a classic case of they have bad product people or no product they people. They have bad management. They make a series yeah. of bad mistakes. Because anybody who is a, like, this is what I, I'm a product manager. So I deal with like digital products. Mm-hmm. This is not a digital product, but same same thing. You have to think of everything that could derail this thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like what could go wrong? 
What? Mm -hmm. And no one thought of this because the fees are not, I mean, they're, they're a revenue stream, but they're probably a very minor revenue yeah, yeah, stream. Yeah. They're there to keep order, right? right. Like they're the gatekeeper. They make people return the stuff. It's the consequence. Because if you don't, there's no incentive to return anything. No. So of course that's what happens. And now there's no videos for anyone to rent and people right. are getting pissed. And I love and when somebody, I love when somebody, I think it's Sandy. When Sandy goes, people are at the counter going, look, I'll pay the late fee. Just get the movie back. <laughs> <give> me the <laughs> movie. <laughs> yeah. So it turns into a complete disaster. They lose $250 million basically overnight. They're cut down to a third of their revenue, which is insane. Who's the dude they were talking to that was talking about that? I don't know. He was some like corporate guy. Yeah, He was like, I liked him. He was like, yeah. cut to the chase. No nonsense. I want to say something else, though, that they really don't mention in the movie at all. Also around this time, Walmarts and Targets are popping up everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. They sell movies. And people are, people are buying movies instead yeah. of renting yep. them. Like, they don't yep. really talk about that. But we all dated yep. that guy who had, like, a wall-to-wall -wall DVD collection. Yeah. Well, and that was, like... The biggest holiday gift. I used yeah. to buy everyone movies. And like now I don't know what to get them because like there's right. no movies or albums. Right. So like that had to eat into this industry as a whole. Yeah. Well, we hear what happened. What what happened. But yeah, they I'm don't sure. talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I because the cost that. of the cost to own them became mm -hmm. very cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But I mean it must not it must not have impacted it enough to end it. Maybe not. Because probably, I mean, my, I can only speak from my experience, but you saw a movie, maybe you rented the movie and then you wanted to buy it or you bought it for a gift. Yeah. So it probably ate into it, but it probably did like, wasn't a game because they used to sell them too. Remember? Yeah. They would sell the previously viewed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So funny story, Reed Hastings, who started Netflix, he started it because of a $40 late fee on Apollo 13 in 1996. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like library fees. Like there should be a, a cap. There right? should be that a cap. can't go over $20. Cause that's ridiculous. You could have bought that movie like four times. And the same thing with the late fees. Like they should have waived the late fees, but said if the movie's not back in 30 days, we charge your card the cost of the movie. Yeah. There you go. You know that would I mean? have been the that would have been a model to yeah. stop that because it wasn't about the fees. It was about we need to force them to yeah. bring it back. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if you were going to get charged for the movie, that would have been the fair thing to do because you own the movie now. Yeah. <laughs> I love when they're talking about all the blockbusters closing and people are like, "I'm keeping my copy of <laughs> yeah. what, what was it? Our long struggle over Tingong Cash is over." <laughs> Cash. That was from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Um, oh, Seth so Meyers, right, right, right. In 2006, Blockbuster, there was an article that said that Blockbuster was throwing everything at Netflix except the kitchen sink. And then John Asago mails a kitchen sink to Reed Hastings. Because they have money to blow. Because so, they're just a bunch of assholes. Yeah. What else happens in 2006 is Carl Icahn I got married involved. and had two kids. That's right. So Carl Icahn gets involved in 2006. He's he he's one of these corporate raiders that he's buys up a bunch of stock. Dude. Is yeah, he, he buys no? up a no, he's not. No, he's not. He buys up a bunch of stock. He's he's done this a million times with a bunch of companies. Buys up a bunch of stock and then gets onto the board of directors and then he fires um, what's his name Antiaco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's how you say so. dude, He hires Jim, the dude who was making all the bad mistakes. Yeah, so fight. he hires Jim Keys from Seven Eleven. 
who saved 7-Eleven by giving away free Slurpees. I don't know who couldn't think of that. <laughs> Can he bring back Blockbuster? So this dude goes to work and he has the concept of meeting customers where they are, which I'm sorry, but in 2006 was already too late. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. this, this was something, this was, that was already a thing. I mean, you had smartphones, like yeah. it was a thing already. Yeah. So they catch on to this and they do the mail order. They do a bunch of stuff and they double the revenue in a year. They were doing digital. That was, that was really good. So at that point, Blockbuster and Netflix were kind of both vying for like, who is going to be the thing, right? Like they were both pretty competitive. The problem was that Blockbuster saddled with all this debt from all that shit with the Paramount stuff that Viacom put on them. Netflix doesn't have this. Netflix just has a bunch of money. Right. Like they have investors. So the corporate dude who we like so much just sums it up perfect. He's like in 2008, these companies are exactly ready. They're even. They're, They're exactly poised to to go forward, but the crash of 2008 happens. So then, so he doubles the revenue in 2007, and then in 2008 the crash happens. Mm-hmm. The problem with the crash of 2008 is it made credit and uh, and investors basic like it was very hard to get cash. Yeah. It was almost impossible to get cash. Yeah. So. There's no cash. There's no money to be found. The debt market was terrible. Mm-hmm. So Blockbuster files for Chapter 11 in 2010. Yeah. By 2010. It might have been slightly before 2010. Yep. So like they just can't carry. They can't move their debt around. They can't They can't get new investors. Netflix has the investors. They have the mm-hmm. cash. They don't have the debt. So they pull way ahead. In 2010, Dish Network buys Blockbuster for... Three hundred and twenty million with an M. <laughs> wow. So in two thousand twenty, there's the the Bend, Oregon store, and three other stores in Alaska. John Oliver, who is a national treasure, he is my favorite, like one of my favorite people. He's on a national I treasure. Him. I I cannot miss one of his shows. Somehow gets gets wind of this story that there's only four blockbusters left for some reason thinks it's a good idea to get a bunch of memorabilia together to send, to put in this in the Alaskan stores to keep them afloat. Well, what happened is Russell Crowe was auctioning off his personal memorabilia yep. to, to fund his divorce. And yes, John yes. Oliver bought it all and sent it right. to the blockbuster. Which included a jock strap, a leather jock strap. Did, yeah. So he sends it to the blockbusters in Alaska. And the blockbuster the, dude South- is like, look, I told him this is not going to work. <laughs> well, it was funny because he didn't even know who he was. And he said it was a Sunday night and his phone's blowing up. Well. Like blowing up. And his friends are like, you got to contact John Oliver. You gotta find- Were you reading between the lines, though? He's like, I don't know who this guy is and I am not his demographic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Gotcha. So he finally gets in touch with John Oliver. And John Oliver um, – Sends them the shit. He 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 sends them all the cases for it, and they did they display it in South Anchorage, wasn't it South Anchorage or something? Mm-hmm. And um, I think a year later, the stores went out of business. Yeah, it didn't last long because so then well, because, they send it because here's the funny thing: who wants to go see Russell Crowe's shit? No one. So then they send it when they close. They send the stuff to Sandy. Bend, Oregon, mm-hmm. to Sandy. But you notice what's missing? Eh? The jockstrap. The jock strap. They kept it. The guy did not send the jock strap. He kept the jock strap. Oh, God. Unreal. If I were Sandy, I'd be pissed. So then we go into this whole 
end of the movie that's just this like weird like let's talk about the nostalgia of blockbuster which i think was interesting but they could have woven that through the whole thing and let's wait a minute there is literally i counted 12 minutes of that doug benson dude just walking through the store yeah that was it was stupid like he makes the trip to go there but I think that it would have been fine. They could have just woven that. Like, it would have been a better storytelling vehicle to put that through the movie. The I only like. part of his visit that I liked is when he was throwing shade at the staff picks. <laughs> that was the greatest so, part. One of the great things they talk about is the smell of Blockbuster. And as soon as you say that, you smell it. You mm-hmm, know the smell. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the one girl's like, or the one guy's like, popcorn. And someone else is like, khakis. Sodas that are slightly open. <laughs> Burnt plastic, but in a good way. In a good way. But the, my favorite one is dust media. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who that chick was, but she was funny. And this is too, like, once those stores in Alaska closed, this is when Sandy becomes a celebrity. That was in 2019 they closed. So then this is literally the last blockbuster on earth. She is blowing up, guys. Like, the AP, the New York Times, the Washington Post. Like, everybody is calling her. She's all over TV. Everybody's interviewing her. Like, it's crazy. But it's all, it's interesting because they're, they're talking about all this nostalgia about it and how, like, oh, you know, everything, everything good and in person is gone. And, like, I, I, I just thing. hear this all the time. Let's just, and I, I get sick and tired of hearing that kind of shit from people. So let's like, just move. Everything should be what it used to be. So let's just move into that for a minute. So at the okay. end, there's a lot of reminiscing. And they interview Kevin Smith. And he said, now, one thing he says that was really funny that I actually wrote down. <laughs> He was talking about the Bend, Oregon store. And he goes, hey, if there are some cats scratching it out over Be Kind Rewind in Bend, Oregon, I think that's kind of beautiful, man. (laughs) But he was saying that he thinks this will make a comeback. But first he says, um, people are not going in person anymore to pick out movies. It's kind of sad. And I think it's a shittier world. And then somebody else says, you know, there's a real personal touch that we're missing. Like you would walk into a blockbuster and you'd have like a Smith shirt on and somebody'd be like, Oh dude, I think you would like this movie. Um, no, no. we've gotten much better with that online. Like AI it, recommendations will always be yes, that. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm thinking to myself, if you want to be friends with the guy, that's fine. That's different. But yeah. getting recommendations based on your Smith shirt is not going to be as effective as an algorithm. No. No way. Nope. No way. Not something that's watching all your Chrome and Facebook activity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like Kevin Smith is like, I think these things are going to make a comeback like record stores. Nope. I disagree. I disagree. I disagree. Here's why. Because vinyl is a quality thing. Yes. Thank you. The sound and of vinyl is what people like. VHS and DVD is not a quality thing. Correct. Plus you need a machine to listen. I mean, you need a machine for vinyl too, but like vinyl is a quality thing. And I think the the movie equivalent of that is theaters. Yes. It's film. Yes. Because You're not going to put film in your house because that's a nightmare. So that going to the movie theater is the quality version of this that hasn't been impacted. Yes. Because vinyl is an experience. Yep. And you're not going to the record store and renting a record. No. You're going to buy it. So yeah. the equivalent here would be where do you buy movies? And yes, Jenny, the it's movie theater. theater. It's the theater. Like that, the seeing it on film is a higher quality than streaming it. 
Yes. Listening to vinyl is a higher quality than digital or might be argued that it's not, but, but that like, it's, it's, you're not getting a higher quality experience off a DVD. You're just not, you're just not. And, and it's kind of too, like, it's, it's the medium in the way that it was made to be heard. So Mm -hmm. like film is meant to be experienced in a cinema. Music is meant to be heard on vinyl. I mean, you could also argue that playing live is the real, is the movie version of, sure. of music. But there's right? a lot like, of barriers but, to entry for that. Yes. There are. There are. There are. There are Rolling, you're Stone, right. Rolling there. Stones, I'm fucking looking at you. $300 a ticket. It's crazy. But that's like that. I, this is not an equivalent to those Mm-mm. things in my no. mind. So guys, Blockbuster, you heard it here first. Never make it a comeback. Like, are you going to go? What I think they should do is make that kind of a museum in a way, right? Like make it some kind of nostalgic thing and like, yeah, keep getting videos and rent them and stuff. But like, you know what I mean? Make it some kind of nostalgia museum or something. Well, what I think they should do, and I was thinking about this, but it's already happening, especially during the pandemic, is like when a movie's released in a theater, it should be released streaming on the Blockbuster channel, right? Like they should stream new movies. That's what they yeah. What should they do? do. That has, that's happening. But it's happening now. Yeah. But I wonder how much because I have that here too. Like how like the pandemic is going to throw a wrench in everything, mm-hmm. right? Because we have we've changed how we watch movies again, right? Yes. Like I wonder how it's going to impact theaters. Well, we have two local theaters, and one has closed already. Yeah. For good. I mean, one thing that is interesting, and I know they're doing this all over the country, but in New York, we have a couple places that are kind of like art houses. Like you eat and drink at them mm-hmm. and watch films. Mm-hmm. And that actually, I saw a film, Forbidden, well, no, it wasn't Forbidden, Fantastic Planet. And they had a live orchestra playing the soundtrack. To That's it. cool. It was super cool. Like, I think they have to make that experience something that you go out and seek. I think you are. It's not just watching a film with a bunch of people. That's uncomfortable. I think as long as there are teenagers on the planet, you will always have movie theaters. Yeah. I, I think don't think you're going to have 10 in every city. Yeah. Yep. It's not as big of a thing. As but I think place. it will but, always be there. But I think that's like just the nature of how we consume things. Even if you look at TV or movies, right? We used to have five channels. Everyone used to watch the same stuff. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, everybody's watching. Now there's hundreds of things you could, you know what I mean? Like there's so much more and you just, there's just less people doing a lot of everything. Right. So there's like more variety and less like drill down on stuff. So instead of having everyone in the world watching four shows, which still kind of happens I was going to say, like I still think that you have shared experiences, but Some now they're them rise to the top. Yep. Like the yeah, first but it just time, changes everything. the first time I remember really being aware of binging as a cultural thing was Portlandia when they have the episode about Battlestar Galactica and so they're good. like they can't even talk. So or, I'm on episode three. See, I'm on season three. That was so true. Four. So true. I had to get my boss hooked on it so that at the time where I was working, so that he would come in later than I would when he because he got hooked on and he was watching it mm-hmm. until two o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's. It's it's a different shared experience now, but it's just as shared. But I I argue against this idea of everything shittier because our shared experience is partially digital or or a lot digital. I I just disagree with that. 
I feel more connected with people that I haven't seen in 20 years, like that I never would see again, maybe. Like we're sharing experience. Look at this. We're talking about shit from our childhood on and sharing it with tens and, of people. And at least six people are going to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> like it, should, it just comes out the other side, right? Like it changes things. Like then you start, like I remember video games, right? Your guilds and stuff. There was guilds that met in person after knowing each other online for a long time. Now like it kind of re- the reverse. Now that's another thing. I remember Blockbuster start renting games. Video games. That, was, that was cool. That was cool. Okay. That was cool because you never knew what games you were going to like. And they were expensive. So it was a good way to like test out games. Yes. I want to just wrap up a few more things before we move into our whys. And I want to save this conversation for the whys because mine involves what we're talking about. Okay. okay. So just one more thing. Um, I love when they talk about Liam, the baby who closed a blockbuster. <laughs> Do you remember that part? <laughs> Sandy. I have a question about blockbuster movies. Like, were they conceived in blockbusters or did their parents meet? I think their parents worked for her at blockbuster. Okay. So mm-hmm. Sandy's playing with this baby and she's like, oh, her, her mother, the baby's mother must have been the store manager. Sandy's a GM guy. So she was overseeing like four stores. Right. So right, right, right. they had to close the one location because the manager who was Liam's mother was on bed rest to have Liam. And then the store closed. So the father's like, so are you seeing Liam closed a blockbuster? (laughs) I just thought it was cute. And then we have Sandy saying that she's retiring in six years. And I'm like, she looks real good and real young. She can't be old enough to retire. I don't know what the six year timeline was. Well, her husband was retiring in six years and she was going to retire with him. Maybe he works for the government and can retire at 55. This woman is not that old. They're like in their 60s. And another thing is the last blockbuster has now become like a destination. People, some idiot, some idiot drove from San Diego (laughs) and people are sending their old um, gift cards to San Diego. It's like it could be a thing like renting videos could be like a side gig hustle for it. But it seems like it's becoming a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought it ended really nice. Now, just my overall thoughts on this documentary it could have been so much better. Yes, I agree. I feel like it was too fragmented. Like you said, yeah. like even that Lloyd stuff out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, they they needed to have, just from a writing perspective, they needed to have an overall narrative to plug yes. these things into. Like the narrative could have been Sandy's story. Yeah. But yeah. they didn't really have that narrative. So it was like a bunch of little narratives. All And they had a in. random stuff at the end about the nostalgia, but it was like not well put together. And then they have the, the important part, which I almost shut it off before that. But then I'm like, oh, I have to summarize this um, where they, they she calls Dish Network and they renew her lease. So yeah. they're renewed through 2021, I guess. Yeah. But we still don't know what's going to happen. Till November of 2021. So we have to tune in <laughs> to see. And I also learned about a Twitter account that I'm going to follow called The Lone Blockbuster. I know. Which too. looks hilarious. <laughs> me too. Me too. Um, but I felt bad about not loving this documentary. And then I saw like it only has like a six on IMDb. So like oh, yeah. it's not yeah. real, real great. But it's good like if you are a later Gen Xer and you grew up with blockbusters in your neighborhood. Like it's, it's a fun thing to look back on. Yeah. Sure. Yep. All right, Jen, at the end of every episode, we look back and think about a lesson or some kind of scar or I don't know, something we took with us, some behavior, some 
moral that we learned from this experience. Now, obviously, this is a newer movie. This is a time capsule. So it's on the, the new watch, something we got from the watch that explains a little bit or gives some insight into Gen X and our behaviors. We call it our why. And it's designed to finish the sentence, Gen X, this is why. Jenny, what is your why for this time capsule? So this is why you should appreciate the rituals that you enjoy in the moment and savor them because they could be gone forever. Wow, that's deep for you. Well, I'm not, I'm not an overly nostalgic person. No, you're not. I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. Like, I'm kind of like, okay, that thing is gone. Jenny's like, like whatever. okay, my childhood is over. No, but it's like, <laughs> it, like looking back fondly is fine, but I feel like some people get too bogged down in like, it, we need to go back to how it used to be. And like looking on it, speaking about doing a, doing a Gen X podcast would make me seem like I'm a nostalgic person, but I'm actually not. But like looking at it in the context of who we are now as middle-aged people is really interesting mm-hmm, to me, mm-hmm. right? Like that part is super interesting to me. I, I don't want things to be the way they were. Things are better now. They are better now. A lot like of in things a lot are of better ways. now. Some things were great and were better then, but not, but generally, No. <laughs> right. Like go back to our action park. Um, yeah. Our action park, park time capsule. Like that tells you that things weren't necessarily better. We remember them with rose colored glasses. And the other thing is like, you tend to remember fondly things about a time in your life that you remember. Yes. Fondly. Like, yes, it was great when you were in college, right? College was awesome. Yeah. Grunge was the greatest thing ever. Like, of course it was. We were 22. Well, grunge was or 20. Great. It was great. But like, we were 20. That's why it was so great. You know, if we were 40 at that time, like dad would have been, he didn't give a shit. Well, it's interesting because I read <laughs> an article this morning from Scary Mommy, which I really like that publication. They put out a lot of good stuff. And it was something, I forget the headline, but it was like to the effect of, were 80s moms really as free range as we remember them? And the answer was no. 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 Like, and, and Jenny and I have talked about this before. I know people who... I've witnessed their childhood and it was not like they make it like, we just remember things differently. Yeah, totally. And that, I mean, that's fine. That's what happens, but it's like, it, it, I don't want it to be 1980. I mean, I kind of want it to be 1980 again, because I'd be much younger, but Mm -hmm. like it's, I like myself better now than I did when I was 15. I'm a better person now. Okay. And I'm okay with like, I'm not not touching that statement. What we have to be okay with is that, you know, we are who we are now and things are the way they are, but like, let's make good decisions based on what we know about the past and those experiences, like use those to make better decisions in the future. And I think the world is better, but I think it could be so much better. There's no question. Of course. Of course. Like I thought technology, I thought technology and stuff would be better further along than it is. Well, and the whole thing with technology, like I'm a huge proponent of technology a huge fan of technology always have been mm-hmm. but there there are problems with it there are big problems mm-hmm. with it like there's you know that we have to figure out no question well, i mean we're still fighting for high-speed rail in this country so all right jen so my why is this is why we truly came of age at a great time because i think we are that bridge generation that had some mm-hmm. technology yep. like enough to make life easier and i listed just a few examples like electric typewriters cell phones not smartphones but we had cell phones yep. personal computers 
right? The PDAs, remember PDAs? Yeah, so we had enough technology to make life easier, but not too much to pull us away from the human experience. Like, we really had one foot in each camp. More so, I think, than the millennials. Somebody uh, put a meme up and it said, um, I'm Gen X enough to adopt to the technology, but boomer enough to hate it. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty good. But I do like, I think we like, like the fact that we could take apart that computer, like Sandy, my kids couldn't do that. That's true. I mean, they grew up in a world where you don't take apart computers. Mm -hmm. That's not what, that's not, they're, they're built, like they're too small and everything's too precious to Mm -hmm. like, you're not going to get inside an Apple laptop. Don't do that. You're going to wreck it. So in this vein, I found this list and you see these lists everywhere It lists everywhere. Like everything the smartphone has replaced. Mm. So I just thought I'd run through this. Cameras. Mm-hmm. Jen, you'll appreciate this one. Degrees in photography. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you don't need that anymore. <laughs> I got out of that business a long time ago. Watches. Yep. Dad will be upset about that. Although watches are back again, kind of. Kind of. See? But as a fashion like, statement, not as utility. Well, no. They're, they oh, now the track our data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not a Fitbit. It's a whoop. Whatever. Calculators. Yeah. Flashlights. around the calculator anyway. Flashlights. Nope. Compasses. Mm-hmm. Mail. Yep. Alarm clocks. Voice recorders. Calendars. Personal assistants. MP3 players. Radios. Game consoles. I don't know if I agree with that. I still have game consoles in my house. Yeah, but you, you could not have one and still play games. True. TVs. We now watch things on devices. Uh, TV remotes. Computers, typewriters, pens and paper, the ability to spell. <laughs> yep. Which you don't have to know how to spell anymore. Nope. Well, you know what? I read. Uh, Hold on. Uh, Books, newspapers, magazines, and the last one is GPS systems and maps. Those the, are a um, lot of, for each of those items, those are a lot of industries put out of business. Yeah, but the content is still necessary, right? So, like, yeah. So, like, there's still people making that type of stuff. It's just a different way to make it, right? Yeah. Like, I remember when Garmin came out, and you had a GPS in your car. And Garmin is still around, but they're doing different things. They're trying to get into the the activity tracking, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um. It was interesting because I, I I think it was Radio Lab or something I was listening to the other day, and they were talking about how, or maybe it was Science Friday, I don't know, but they were talking about how, like your kids' generation, their brains actually have formed differently because their access to information, like the answers to their questions, are instantaneous. Yes, they they don't have to think or wonder about things like we did. Yes. And their brain is actually formed differently because of that. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Because there's even a whole teaching and learning model where they talk about storing information and then retrieving it. Yep. They don't have yeah. to retrieve it from a stored place anymore. They could just right. get it. Right. Exactly. And we have to, we, we still have that store. We don't have to do that mm-hmm. anymore. But we, our brains were formed with that. You still have to memorize shit. Yeah. Even the other night we were watching Godzilla versus Kong, which, oh, I, well, I heard so it was good. I, I, just, I love big, crazy CGI things. Like <laughs> so I was watching it and we were watching it with the girls and like, they don't stop and wonder about anything. Like there was something that came up and 
uh, Samantha was like immediately looking it up on her phone. And I was like, Samantha, just wait. The movie will give you the information you need. It's called it's called context. It's called exposition. (laughs) Just let it happen. She couldn't wait. She had to have that information immediately. Yeah, Yeah, it's crazy. All right. It's interesting because I wonder if it's harder for them to like take tests and stuff because they don't. Oh, I think so. All right. And I just want to end by saying that during Corona, Sandy rented out the Blockbuster store via Airbnb. What? To families. So you could rent the whole store and you could sleep over and watch a movie. That's cool. Mm -hmm. And it was, she only charged them like $4. Wow. Yeah. It was crazy, which. Sandy mm, just doesn't want to make money. Sandy got to do a hundred bucks there, honey. (laughs) Okay. um, So Jenny, what is coming up next? When does this come out? This is going to come out April 29th. uh, We don't know. (laughs) Yeah, we don't know. Okay. So I will say one thing that's coming up on our Patreon, and don't forget we're doing after school specials on our Patreon only. Um, Our Patreon for the month of May is Portrait of a Teenage Shoplifter. That that we do know. That will be coming up, which will be awesome. That's Amy's aspect. And if my memes don't let me down, we'll be doing Young Guns 2 for our blockbuster. No, that's not going in the it's poll. It's going in the poll. It qualifies. It is going and in the poll. And War Games is going in the poll. I'll put then War, War Games, Games in the poll. <laughs> All right, guys. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. Hey, everyone. Amy here. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. If you can, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple iTunes or anywhere you listen. Your reviews help us find new listeners. And if you'd really like to support us, please consider signing up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash why. As part of your Patreon membership, for as little as $5 a month, you get two bonus episodes each month. And if you want to go all in and join our hero mode tier, you get some extras. Thanks, everyone. See you soon. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.